Good morning. Today is Thursday, October 27th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who are coming back for more, I'm blessed you're here. Be sure, though, to tell your friends and your loved ones that they, too, can be a part of the Thy Strong Word family by listening over the air on AM850 in St. Louis, online at kfuo.org, or through any podcasting app. Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translation and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. And while you're online, send me an email, ask a question, make a comment, or just say hello. It helps me to hear from you because you too are a part of the conversation. Email me at pastorboo, that's B-O-O-E, at gmail.com. Our text for this morning is Daniel chapter 10, all 21 verses. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 really make up one cohesive unit. Today, we start with the first third of this vision. Here, a being having the appearance of a man, an otherworldly presence, appears to Daniel. After his initial fear and terror, though, the messenger touches him and gives him strength to endure the rest of the vision. This vision also helps him understand the previous visions God gave him. Well, with me today to help us begin to understand these esoteric and apocalyptic visions is my guest, the Reverend Doug Gribbenau. Mission Advocate at KFUO. Pastor Gribbenau, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you, brother. And and thank you, brothers and sisters, for having me back. Always exciting when we can pull you out of your good work doing mission advocacy to be on the radio with us and digging into God's Word, which it's, it's just a blessing to us. And hopefully uh, you're blessed by being here. I'm sure you are. Well, thank you. And, and, and you know, I, I, I don't often have quite an introduction about apocalyptic visions. And I mean, we, we get some fun <laughs> stuff today. Yeah, Daniel is fun for that way. We had one pastor, one guest say, and it was so, so well spoken. He said, Daniel historically is a book that's been dangerous, but doubly so. It's dangerous to those uh, uh, governments and authorities out there who don't want people to get the idea that they must obey God rather than them. And it's also dangerous because it is so esoteric and apocalyptic in some of its descriptions that we can sometimes run wild with it and get the wrong idea. So a careful handling of Daniel, yeah, it does make it pretty exciting. Amen. Well, uh, before we dive into our text today, would you like to begin in prayer? Lord God, Heavenly Father, without your help, our labor is useless. And without your light, our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word, that by due diligence and right discernment, we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been going through Daniel, beginning with uh, pretty common Sunday school accounts like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace, uh, Daniel in the lion's den. But around chapter 7, things started getting pretty strange. You know, we're coming into the, really, the twilight days of, of Daniel's life. And as we're going to hear, you know, the, the Babylonian exile, it's, it's coming to an end. People are going to start coming back 
to Jerusalem. And yet Daniel is of, of such an age uh, that this arduous journey really isn't in the cards for him. And so he's having this reflective moment, a, a man whose life has been really quite dramatic and in the service of and working with pagans and, and living in that tension of uh, in the world, but not of the world and being faithful and true to his God. And he's filled, I think, with concern and, and worry as, as probably anyone in, in the end of their years, as my grandmother certainly was, worried about, you know, the kids, the grandkids, the great-grandkids. So Daniel is, is, is filled with this sort of, um, this, this love, this compassion, this concern for Israel, for God's people, uh, for his people. And, and so we come into then this moment in Daniel's life, this man who's been given visions and discernment, that he's, he's once again coming and seeking the Lord's, the Lord's will and the Lord's insight. And, and that's where we're coming into here in chapter 10. When he began his service, he was barely out of his teens. That was way back in chapter 1. Of course, the chronology of Daniel is a little mishmashed. But yeah, we have here, well after the 70 years that Jeremiah had prophesied, that Daniel had pleaded with God to fulfill his end of that covenant agreement, and now people are starting to go back. But yeah, isn't it isn't it amazing all the things that Daniel did and endured, and he himself will not be able to make that journey. I think there's a there's definitely a melancholy about it, and we see here in this text as we'll read that he's he's mourning for for some of this. Amen. Well, why don't we read the text? I'm going to read just the first nine verses. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. A word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks." On the twenty-fourth day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and I looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Ufaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Well, that is it so far, about half of our chapter. Um, we're just getting started, of course, with this vision, but he sees this, this otherworldly, you know, man-looking being. What else do we call it from his perspective? He's trying to figure out what's going on. And he is struck, <laughs> absolutely uh, dumbstruck that, that he cannot fathom what it is that he sees. 
you know, I, I used to watch the History Channel uh, when they had history classes and lessons and things. I, I loved it. But I would always, I had this weird fascination with the Ancient Aliens program <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yes. George Tsoukalos with the hair. And, and all I can think is he would say, oh, this was an extraterrestrial. You know, this was, um, well, in this sense. Uh, That's right. He did not have the vocabulary to describe exactly what was going. Yeah, no, I've seen those. Yeah. I actually, uh, kind of a guilty pleasure of mine too. I'm right. But, you know, on the one sense they are right, this this is a man from beyond our, our worldly experience. So that part is absolutely true. Here we have an angelic being, and the, the unfathomable glory of the Lord is shining and emanating from, from this, uh, this man dressed in linen, as, as Daniel says. I, I imagine or I think about people who imagine uh, encountering God or an angel in their life. They say things like, Lord, show me a sign or or just appear to me and I will believe. Well, every time the Lord does that. <laughs> what do we end up doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, people are terrified. That's right. Right? May Fobu, stop being afraid. And that's just the angels. So when, when God gives us a, a glimpse of his appearance, either through an angel or perhaps through what we often call the pre-incarnate Christ, I mean, people are terrified. And, and rightly so, because of that otherworldliness, God has to condescend to us to fit into our understanding, both in the way he appears, but even, you know, according to the Bible, right? That's a condescension. He comes to us in human language, human thought, human examples, and experience to communicate to us a heavenly truth that otherwise we really couldn't get our heads around, and and in many ways still can't. Well, amen, and and uh, the I don't want to get too far ahead because I think it's good to put this sort of in context. Um, you know, he gives us a very particular point in time when this encounter takes place. You know, he says it is in the third year. Uh, how is it? He says the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And of course, then this is this is now Cyrus, who is the the king who has now permitted the exiles to return back home. And it's and it's really only been two years since that that ban was lifted, and and people can start to make that journey, um, and and so that's this this time is sort of the completion of of Daniel's time in in the kingdom, and it's also then of course the the, the marker that you know the the king that he served is now no longer there, and what's interesting is that the introduction of chapter ten we are given. His his sort of pagan name, if you will, or his his, his uh, royal name, and and I'll permit you, uh, Pastor Boo, to pronounce that again for me. <laughs> right. So I've been practicing Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, yes. And so he he introduces this whole chapter with with that name, sort of the as sort of the close of of his time with that kingdom, the kingdom that has now come to an end. The people are returning back, and that is then. This time when he is encountered. Now Daniel's been fasting; uh, he's been in mourning. He because of the condition of Israel and his worry for the people. And the question that that I think naturally comes to us is why the mourning? Not just sort of you know age and melancholy, but you know is there a particular reason? And we're not necessarily given that. Now some have have posited that. He's he's sad that he can't make the journey back, uh, that he can't return home, or 
perhaps he's he's sad and worried for the people that are doing it because it is an arduous journey. And so he's concerned and worried for them. Uh, even others have said, and and if <laughs> the people back then are anything like the people of today, <laughs> which they may very well be because we have all been sinners from the beginning, there's probably a lot of them that just are content to stay and don't have this desire to return back to the land that has been promised to them, the land that the Lord has given to them, uh, the land to which they've been called. And and so of all these, and perhaps all three at the same time, this is what has been consuming Daniel's thoughts. And, and to him comes this man in linen. Now you introduce this as, as potentially being the, the pre-incarnate Christ. Because you see, you know, Christ will become born for us of the Virgin Mary, you know, joining his creation, becoming a man. Um, and, and so the pre-incarnate Christ, an appearance of Christ before his incarnation. And I would have to say that, that this is very likely what this is for a couple of reasons. We have uh, a very similar description of Christ in the Revelation of St. John, so the, the, or as the Greek would say, the Apocalypse of St. John, right? The Apocalypta, the revelation, the revealing of things. And in the first chapter of Revelation, we have a similar sort of description of Christ, and very clearly Christ, you know, a son of man with a, a garment that goes down to his feet. You know, he's dressed in linen. In Revelation, it's a golden girdle. Here we have a, a fine gold belt uh, from from Ufaz, which, by the way, the location of that has been lost to antiquity. Uh, the uh, the head and the hair, right? Uh, in in here in Daniel ten, it's the appearance of lightning. In Revelation, white like wool, white as snow. His eyes like lamps of fire. In Revelation, it's flaming eyes, eyes of flame. Uh, his feet. The color of polished brass, uh, again, like fine brass in Revelation. And then the voice, the voice of a multitude, or as in Revelation, the voice of many waters. So a voice that is filling all things. Um, and, and quite honestly, you know, I, I imagine the one who speaks creation into being, he really does have to sort of condescend to, to whisper, and that powerful voice, even at his whisper, is going to be overpowering for us. Uh, and and so, you know, I, I would lean to say that this is the pre-incarnate Christ who comes to Daniel. Um, but I, I, I certainly will not, you know, question anyone's faith if they say, well, I'm not entirely sold on that. This, this could be an angelic being who also possess a, a great majesty because they are in the presence of God continually. And we remember what happened with Moses when he would go in to visit God. His face would shine and he'd have to wear a veil because the people would faint for the glory of the Lord that reflected off of Moses. Uh, so it, it certainly has room for both perspectives. Uh, but for myself, I lean towards this being an image of the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, I don't remember if you mentioned it, but for those at home who want to look that up, that's actually the very first chapter of Revelation, verses 13 through 16 in that area, where we get that very vivid description of Christ, as you said. Yeah, I think the, it's nearly one-to-one -one when it comes to that, 
which I think is makes it fascinating. So even if it were not, for instance, um, the pre-incarnate Christ, whatever we mean by that, there is no doubt in my mind that this is pointing forward to Christ. Amen. So regardless, as we talked about off the air, you know, the message stays the same, that it is God who is going to win the day, right? God is showing himself to Daniel. And, and with that context that you gave it, yeah, I would say it's hard not to lean towards this being an image of Christ for Daniel. And if it doesn't, Daniel need it, right? Because Daniel lives in a time where he can only see the Messiah far off. He doesn't have the same blessings that we do. I mean, think about that, folks. We have access to the knowledge of Christ that the prophets of old only dreamt of. And, and so what do we do with that? Well, well, God wants us to be reassured and have our faith strengthened and have our, our strength bolstered in knowing that Christ has come. But Daniel here, yeah, he gets a little, a little ta- a foretaste of that, which is what these apocalyptic visions are all about, showing him what is to come. And you know the 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 other thing I just was connecting this in in the book of Acts when we have Saint Paul, or I should say back then Saul, his encounter with Christ. Uh, in both cases, here with Daniel, he's he's there with his friends, right? And and they didn't see it, but they ran away terrified. Well, when Saul gets proverbially and, and actually factually knocked off his high horse. <laughs> <laughs> his friends don't <laughs> see what's going on, but they know something's happened to, to, to Paul. And, and, and Paul is addressed directly by the Christ saying, you know, this is Jesus, you know, whom you were, cru- whom you were persecuting. Why are you persecuting me? Uh, and, and so the same encounter here directed to this one particular person uh, where, where, where God is addressing them. The others don't see it, but they they scatter, and and uh, and so this revelation is is to them alone. Um, I think that encounter with with Paul sort of lends a little a little weight again with uh, the pre incarnate Christ. Why don't we get a few more verses yeah. out on the table? This is going to be verses ten. Oh, we'll just go through fourteen. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me. O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. And we'll pause there. So he's terrified. He's prostrate to the ground, which is certainly an image of worship. Uh, You mentioned uh, St. John. That's what he does when the angel uh, appears to him, of course, then that angel quickly pulls him back up and says, hey, I'm just an angel, right? We worship God alone. <laughs> but here the hand touches him and sends him trembling, but he but he, he says, get up. And he, and he does. He gets up and he says, I've been sent to you. But he's still trembling. And I like that. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up 
uh, trembling. Right. <laughs> and I just, again, reiterates that we have to be careful what we ask for. When we look to God, you know, he gives us his word because this is the uh, protected way, protected for our benefit way he wants to encounter us through through Christ and then through his word. And whenever it's not that, yeah, it's just this amazing, amazing experience. Well, and and with each with each touch and especially with each word that is spoken to Daniel, um, he's he's strengthened more and more over and over. And, and yeah, so the the hand that lifts him up and sets him there trembling, but it was speaking. And and it's not even so much a, a command as much as a um, an incarnational reality. You know, when when the when this man says, Oh Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. You know, and, and with that word spoken to him, uh, he does. He stands a little higher up. And, and he's starting to regain some of that strength. Because if we go back to uh, the first paragraph we read, you know, Daniel is saying, you know, he was left alone. He saw this great vision. He had no strength left in him. His radiant appearance was fearfully changed. And quite literally in the Hebrew, it, it, it's uh, that mm. my splendor was changed to ruin. You know, <laughs> And so he is a man who is, is utterly driven down, realizing how how small he is in relation to this being. And, you know, the, 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 you go outside on the mountaintop and you see all the stars, you go, oh, I'm so small in the whole universe. And, and it is one of those things, when we come into the holiness of God, we are made painfully aware of, of our sinfulness. Of, of, and, and yet we hear, though, that, that God has, has forgiven us and he has renewed us, and he is making us a new creation, right? The work of the Holy Spirit begun in holy baptism to conform us to that image of Christ, to clothe us with Christ, uh, to forgive our sins, to give us that strength. And so, on the one hand, when we encounter God, we do, we feel absolutely holy, inadequate, and, and inferior, and our splendor is turned to ruin. And yet, on the other hand, we must always remember that that you, though you feel so insignificant, that you feel so unworthy, are of such precious and amazing value that God gives his own son to suffer and die in your place. And that's how amazingly wonderful and important and loved you are in God's eyes. And that's what this this word is continuing to do. Daniel, you are greatly loved. And that's the same thing that the Lord says to each and every one of us. You are greatly loved. And, and we see that in the cross. Uh, but we, we also will see it again on the last day. And when we get to stand there with Daniel and, and rejoice that we have been so loved now, like you, by I'm this God. I'm convinced that this is an appearance of, of Christ or at the very least a pointing forward to Christ who is to come. But there's a wrench that critics might throw into that argument, and that is under the understanding of or how we understand uh, the prince, this is verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I was left there with the kings of Persia. So we have this image. We take it at its you know first level reading, its face value, that the earthly king, the prince of Persia, was able to mm-hmm. withstand 
Christ for 21 days, and he had to have help from Michael, the archangel. Uh, you know, I, I do understand that there's some ways we can discuss that or, or you know, reconcile that. But on the first level, yeah, it kind of presents an issue. Mm-hmm. Well, and the one thing that I, that I think of, even on this first level reading, is that the heart of man is wicked and filled with enmity. And we are able to resist God's word of grace and peace. So there is that reality. And, and we probably encounter that in, in our own lives, in our own families, as we share the gospel, as we tell people of the reason for the joy that is in us. Some folks are scoffers and say, yeah, okay, you believe in the sky, daddy. Yeah, good for you. Religion is your opiate so that you don't have to deal with the harsh reality of life. You know, the, and there are some people whose hearts are hardened and they resist the word of God. Doesn't mean that the word of God is any less powerful or effective. But so hard is the heart of man <laughs> that his word can be resisted. But we really need to sort of take a, a, a step back and, and go to a deeper level with this interaction here. And yes, on the one hand, you sort of say, well, this couldn't possibly be Christ because, you know, he, he needed the help of an angel and, you know, the all-powerful almighty God wouldn't need any help. So therefore... And yet we know in Scripture that, that angels go forth as, as messengers to deliver that good news. And the Lord works through means. He works through, uh, through his word, through his sacraments, through the men he has called into the office of pastor to proclaim uh, his, and distribute his gifts, proclaim his word, distribute his gifts. Uh, and and he, he asks for laborers to go into the harvest, you know, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that we may have laborers. So I, I, it's sort of a self-defeating argument to say, well, God wouldn't possibly uh, want or need any sort of help or anything. I but, agree. In John yeah. chapter 1, you know, it says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, Jesus himself. In Gethsemane, we see that an angel appeared from heaven and strengthening strengthened him. And in Matthew, several times it's mentioned that the Son of Man will send his angels to do his work, to collect the elect and other things. So, yeah, I agree with you. We have this apparent problem, but it's only a problem if you have a you know a simplistic understanding of the way that God works through means. The, the economy of heaven, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and it even spills over into our worship life because so many people say, well, if God is everywhere, then God can bless me anywhere. And while true, God has decided to work through means like, word and sacrament and fellowship of people gathering together and he hears your prayers. And so if we were to take that same argument here, we would say, well, you know, the fact that, you know, a prince is withstanding him 21 days. Well, maybe there's a little bit more to the idea of the 21 days than there is to the being withstood. And so 21 days, incidentally, uh, connects to three weeks, which is the same amount of time that Daniel had done some, um, some fasting in preparation for this vision or in, in mourning for, for the people. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's a connection there or not. Or maybe I'm starting to read too much into it. After all, it's a dangerous book. It, it, it is. Um, and, and there is, you know, the numbers in, in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew understanding of the world, uh, carry great significance. Uh, seven being the number of completeness, that it's brought to an end. Um, 
and to be quite honest with you, the, the, we Christians have a thing for threes, you know, the, the Trinity. Um, and, and, and again, this is probably, the, you know, this is one of those dangerous things. Well, is there a three by seven? It's 21, you know, all these sorts of things. But I think really, uh, lest we lest we burn off the tips of our fingers or cut them off with the the sharp edged sword of the, the the word of God, really what we need to focus on is what this is, and and it's re- right here at the end of this section. Um, this is a vision for the days yet to come. Yes, he's been delayed, um, but but now he's come to deliver this message, and it's a message of of hope, of restoration, of fulfillment. And, uh, and if you happen to have your Lutheran study Bible, uh, which is a wonderful help for studying, there is a quote from Luther in the American edition, so a collection of his works, where he actually addresses what we have here in chapter 10 with this, uh, this prince, right? This prince of the kingdom of Persia. And, and so Luther says that the 10th chapter is a prologue to the 11th. Yet in Daniel writes something special about the angels, the like of which we find nowhere else in Scripture, namely that the good angels do battle with the evil angels in defense of men. Besides, Daniel calls also the evil angels princes, as when he speaks of the prince of Greece or the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Uh, so this is actually a window into the the battle that has been going on since time immemorial between the evil angels, the, the fallen angels, uh, so the devil and his demons, and and the Lord and and his angels, the angels of heaven, the army of light. And so is, is Luther sort of saying that here this is actually a, a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle between an evil angel who is orchestrating the works in, in the world— uh, and and the Lord and His angels are battling against these the, this evil activity, this evil influence that's taking place in creation. The peek into that reality, as Luther puts it, is certainly more valuable to us, I believe, than wasting a lot of ink and time trying to connect twenty-one days or seven times, you know, all that together. So I tell you what, we're going to pause, though, while we consider what uh, you just quoted from Luther, and we'll listen to these messages. So, listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments when we return, Pastor Gribbenau and I will continue our discussion of Daniel chapter 10. We'll see you on the other side. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches? where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors. What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Doug Gribbenau, Mission Advocate at KFUO. Now, Pastor, before the break, you had left us with a great quote from uh, 
Dr. Luther about how this is an insight into the, the war that goes on between the angels for the benefit of mankind. What a fascinating peek into how God continues to protect and care for his people using angels. Couldn't God just do it himself? Of course. But he's has these creatures that he made for the and benefit thanks be to God. of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else before we put our last uh, few you know, verses I, out there? I'll say I think we, we need to push on because this the point for us to remember is that this is a revelation, a vision that is coming to Daniel, a man who has been given the the insight that God gives this insight to interpret dreams, to to you know tell others of, of God's workings, and now he's been given this this understanding that the Lord is working for us, fighting for us in ways that we have never considered and and have no knowledge of. And it's not just the idea that when, you know, your car didn't start that morning and, you know, God was perhaps, you know, keeping you from an accident on the road and all these things. That may very well be the case. Uh, but the, the deeper, more concrete reality is that there are you know, the, the powers of darkness and the, the prince of the air and, and the principalities. These are always and constantly at war against, against you. The devil wants you back in his kingdom of darkness. And he's always constantly working there and prowling around like the lion. You know, sin is ready to devour you. And and the, the Lord is constantly and always fighting for us in ways that we never know. And thankfully, ways that we've never had to experience. Um, because once we have been baptized into this kingdom of grace, buried with Christ in our baptism and raised to a new life with him, uh, there, there is a huge target on us. Because the devil doesn't like that that we're not in his kingdom anymore. And he hit, doubly hates it so because he knows that that he has already lost the war. And so he just wants to inflict as much damage as he can. And the Lord does not will that for you and does not want that for you. You are his precious child, um, made so in the waters of holy baptism. And he, like uh, like a gracious father, will care for you and look out for you and defend you and protect you um, in, in ways that you never know, just as our earthly fathers do. Now we'll read verses 15 through 21, the rest of the chapter. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips, then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except these, against these, except Michael, your prince." All right, there we go. Uh, three weeks of fasting for Daniel, 21 days and 21 verses. I know some people who would make a big deal about that, but we're not going to. We're going to no. talk. 
three strengthenings too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But we are we are going to talk about the reality though that um, boy, it sure sounds like a Jesus thing, right? Peace be with you. Fear not. And he does strengthen him at the end. Something that the the one in the appearance of the children of man was unable to do. So yeah, there's there's some there's definitely a distinct mission from this appearance, this pre-incarnate Christ. And you know, you bring up a very a, a key point here. You know, touched my lips, and and Daniel speaks, but he's saying, you know, I, I still I have no strength. I have no breath within me. Um, you know, he's probably feeling on the you know, like he's like he's ready to give up the ghost and be done. You know, I I I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But in this in this third strength thing, there the one having the appearance of a man touched him, strengthened me, and he said. O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. And this indeed, it's so much as Christ does after his, after his, re, his resurrection. Uh, so obviously after his incarnation, right? <laughs> after his death, after his resurrection, when he appears to the disciples, you know, do not be afraid, mephibeta, do not fear, peace be with you. And, and this Hebrew word peace, shalom, um, is is not just this idea of uh, no longer having contention. Uh, it's it's a much fuller word that even includes such things as restoration or forgiveness. You know, a, a, a rejoining, um, coming back together. And and I think of of the of the man who was in the likeness of the children of men, touching the lips and. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I, and I hope you will correct me so I don't lead anyone astray. Uh, it's Isaiah whose lips are touched with the coals from the altar. Is that correct? Right, Isaiah six seven. And and you know, I, well, woe is me. I am I am a man of unclean lips. So you know, living in the world of unclean lips with people of unclean lips, and and he is restored. Right, the, his lips are touched, and then he's he, you know, oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. And and so. You know, his lips are touched, and now this word then, you know, fear not, peace be with you. Restoration, you know, an incarnational speaking. Uh, unity, fellowship, restoration, forgiveness. And then this is where he says, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Let me hear your word. Um, because I have been crushed, I have been uh, face down to the ground. It's been too much for me to bear, but now I have been restored and and brought together, and now I may hear your words. And this is where we get this, this sort of close to the introduction <laughs> of this final vision uh, of of where this one who is um, the appearance of a man uh, who speaks this, and then you know Daniel says, okay. I'm, I'm, I can hear it. I can, I can do this because you strengthened me. And, and then we get a rhetorical question, <laughs> which is also very godlike. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed yes. to God and it feels like, <laughs> like he says, well, why do you want to know? <laughs> but this is sort of that, that end, that close of this, this introduction to the vision and a reminder for us of what it is, you know, because he says, do you know why I have come to you? Which is really, it's, it's an invitation for us to look back at this encounter and go back for it. Um, you know, this, 
He has been touched. He has been strengthened. He has been uplifted. He has been told over and over again, you know, do not fear. You are loved. And the Lord hears you. And that's really what, uh, what, what that question is. You know, do you, do you know why I have come to you? Because you cried out. Because you are loved. Because I've come to give you strengthening. I think it's, it's a recap of, of this encounter before we get the, the final vision in chapters 11 and 12. A couple of you know parts of this that are left a little um, confusing, and one would be you know is there a distinction between the one having appearance of a man and the one who has the appearance of the children of man, or one in the likeness of the children of man? There are probably Hebrew scholars who would be better equipped <laughs> to deal with the nuances of the language than I. Sure, but I will say. Um, in, in, in my study, there are some, some variant opinions that perhaps this is just the, the pre-incarnate Christ throughout this encounter, or it may be an, another angelic being is coming to strengthen him. And it's interesting that in our rendering of that Hebrew language, we have you know, likeness and appearance. Now, the, the phrasing, this appearance of... Um, how it is the appearance of the Son of Man. That sort of language really is used of the Messiah, of the Christ, uh, of Jesus. Now, the likeness of the children of men, there's a little more, um, it's a little wider, a little, little more open. Um, so I'd say, you know, we can probably look at this and say, you know, that, that there is another angelic being there you know, helping to minister to Daniel. Um, but, you know, if, if the language convinces you that this is Christ uh, continually here, I, I think that's fair. Uh, but if, if you really want to dig into the Hebrew, and, 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 and of course, please do, wrestling with God's word is a wonderful vocation. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's probably some, uh, some nuances there that if we look to the rest of Scripture, that's really what we need to do is use Scripture to interpret Scripture, uh, that, that there's probably a, an indication here that we have the incarnate Christ, or pre-incarnate Christ and another angelic being uh, engaged here ministering to Daniel. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting difference there, and I'm not sure about it either, which is why I asked. Uh, for those of you listening at home, if you'd like to you know, have some input into that, as I said at the top of the show, email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. I'd love to have you as a part of the conversation. And and we, we happen to know some good Hebrew scholars we can talk to. Yes, too. absolutely. So I'm sure we can round a couple up. You can't really swing a stick there in St. Louis without hitting a Hebrew scholar or two, I'm sure. Amen. <laughs> well, the other thing I think is interesting, though, is we have Michael called the the prince and i if i'm not mistaken i believe this is the first time in scripture that we get this image of michael being your prince it's the very last very last uh, verse michael your prince um michael is yeah he's elsewhere that that image continues but yeah let's talk about that what and what a wonderful <laughs> wonderful word of comfort you know these uh 
uh, you know, the, the whole host of heaven. And I, you know, obviously I'm thinking of Christmas, right? Cause it's coming up next, you know, uh, that appear to the shepherds, you know, behold, we have great news of good tidings for you and for all peoples, you know, the, you know, and, and then they sing these angelic, you know, huge beings with these booming bass voices. Uh, even though we tend to have children's choirs sing for the <laughs> angels, right? <laughs> but these huge, powerful beings and this one is yours, Michael, and he's going to watch out for for Israel, and and he, and really, we we have to understand that this is this is you know Israel that is the ones that are called into fellowship with God, uh, and so you know, Christ is is Israel into one because you know in his incarnation and in his sinless life. He is a victor where God's people have, have failed and faltered. He then suffers in our stead, and then he rises, and, and Israel are those who have faith in the Messiah, in the promise of God given, the promise fulfilled in Christ the Messiah, and the promise that on the last day we shall stand together as, as God's children before the throne to sing with these tremendously powerful beings, uh, to sing that hymn of praise uh, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And hear one of them, you know, Michael, you even give a name, Michael, this one is yours. And, and not just Daniel's, but yours to the people of God, this one. Uh, and, and, it, and of course, he has many others as well alongside, but this one uh, has special concern, if you will, for you. Uh, and, and, you know, Michael is actually only mentioned uh, five times in the Bible and three of those times in the book of Daniel. And so Revelation would be the other. Is there any other? Revelation is the other. And then, and then the book of Jude, one ah, time in the book of Jude. Okay. Yeah. Well, another thing that, speaking of books, another thing he mentions is this the book of truth he says but i will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth back in daniel chapter 7 we see a vision of the of the court standing in judgment and it says the books were opened that's not the same thing and later on in daniel 12 he talks about the book in which you know uh, the names of god's believers or the saints are written also not the same thing it seems like something else here with this, the book of truth, uh, perhaps, you know, the, uh, the the truth of what happens throughout history, right? God knows what's going to happen. And so we have this figurative, I would say, book of knowing all things. And the truth is coming from, well, this divine man. Uh, surely there's some divine person that they equate with the truth in the, in the scriptures, particularly in John. I'm sure that uh, could come to our mind. Hmm. You know, there might be a way for us to think That's of this right. one who is the truth, the way and the life. Right. <laughs> but another great course, connection. Christ said, the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the other thing to really recognize is that we have a God whose, whose knowledge is so expansive. He knows all of human history, even before it is written. He knows and he cares and he's engaged in the activities of our world, of our life. He knows what we will do. He knows what we have done. Uh, and, and, and it's a very amazing thing to think that the God who created the universe, who created you in the womb of your mother, is so passionate about us 
that he is actively involved in the affairs of our earthly realm day in and day out, not just in bringing the, the rains and the seasons and the sun and the moon, the setting, the star, but is actually actively involved in our daily lives and our daily activities, govern and directing all things to work together for his good and gracious will. And his good and gracious will is for his love for you. It, and it's a wonderful thing to trust and know. It's difficult for us to get our mind around, but God's foreknowledge it does not equal a fatalistic view that everything is predetermined, that there's, you know, if I, if I flub reading the scriptures on the program, then it, before eternity, God had destined me to flub that up. You know, we have this sort of mishmash of, of mixing up the fact that God knows all things with the fact that God has already predetermined how things will progress. And that doesn't make sense with the rest of scripture where God desires all people come to the truth and, you know, and be saved through Christ. It doesn't mesh with the idea that people certainly have appealed to God for him to turn from his, from his wrath throughout the old Testament and elsewhere. So we have this God working within history, as you mentioned, while at the same time, knowing the last chapter, knowing how things will play out. It's hard for us to get our mind around. And unfortunately, some Poor theology has arisen from not being able to hold those two paradoxical things in tension. Amen. You know, and, and, and it's God's permissive will. He allows He allows things to happen. Uh, he allows wickedness to take place in this world, but He does set limits and bounds upon it. And and I think perhaps in my own life, even in the in the history of the experiences that have made me who I am. There, I've, I've done some not wonderful things, but looking back in time, I can see even then that God has taken my sin and this worthlessness, this really poor decision, and has compelled it to bring forth something wonderful. He permitted me to do that because I have the free will to be a, a terrible, wretched sinner, and yet God is continually and always working to bring forth good. Uh, and and even even with the garbage that I sometimes do, I don't do it all the time. I'm generally a pretty good fellow. Just to reassure everyone right, out we're there, we're not disqualifying you from anything. Even when we make really awful decisions and really terrible mistakes, it's not the end of the game. Right. God works and brings forth wonderful and amazing things, even from awful stuff. I mean, let's go back to to Saul. You know, who persecuted the church, who was, you know, dragging Christians out of their homes, beating them, dragging them off to Jerusalem. Just a, a real lout. <laughs> and St. Paul then becomes this amazing confessor of Christ, especially to, to us Gentiles. So, you know, no matter what awful and boneheaded decisions you've made, uh, God, God brings forth good. And so we repent and we look to him. We, we, you know, spend 21 days, right? <laughs> with no meat, no wine, with sackcloth and ashes in mourning because we humble ourselves to hear his word and his promises and to know that he, he will, he will speak to us. Fear not. Peace be with you. The, the reality of God working throughout history for our benefit, the reality of the Prince Angel Michael uh, helping protect God's crown of his creation, human beings, tells us that there is also a reality that there are not only temporal struggles that we'll face, but spiritual struggles, spiritual enemies, 
that's something that the world wants to reject nowadays, something that was much more understood and appreciated throughout history. But in these last days, the, the, the unbelieving world has dispensed with the reality of, of, of you know, uh, trouble in the, in the spiritual realm and things that we have to fight. I remember going to seminary at uh, St. Louis and people who would visit would say, oh, you know, it's like 88 acres, I think, of this beautiful campus. And it's so peaceful. And so, yeah, unless you're going there, unless you're preparing for pastoral ministry, and then you talk to some of these guys and the spiritual attacks that they're undergoing um, from personal lives to to even classroom stuff to things that really are uh, downright demonic attacks are, 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 you know, those stories are being traded all the time at the benches and tables around the chapel and around the around the campus. And that's because anywhere where people are trying to work on behalf of God's word, there's going to be opposition. But the world doesn't see those things. Christians often do and experience and experience them. So maybe in the last few minutes of our of our episode today, you could speak a little bit to that. Speak a little bit about how, you know, all of this apocalyptic stuff really is pointing forward to God's protection of his people and that in the end, you know, he wins the day. It is a, as, as we hear in Daniel, it is a vision for days yet to come. You know, we who now live in these, in these gray and latter days, it's one of our hymns. I can't remember which one. You could email Pastor Boo and Yes, please do. He <laughs> could tell me, right? But, you know, it, it, this vision is, for this last day, and we know the ending of the story. I, you know, I, I love the joke about uh, you know, the the seminarian who brought his kid into his class, and they were working on the book of Revelation, and the professor says, I don't think a single one of you here can tell me what this book is actually about. <laughs> and the kid raises his hand and says, God wins. <laughs> And, and you know he's right. <laughs> Christ has been victorious over sin, death, and the power of the devil at the cross. Descends into hell to proclaim his victory, rises again, and then sends us forth to 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 you know every corner of the globe to speak the peace and reconciliation we have in the blood of Jesus, suffering and dying on the cross in our stead to give us righteousness, and then giving us his gifts. The true body and most precious blood of Christ, given and shed for the forgiveness of sins, the strengthening of our faith, that we may endure for, as again, how Scripture says in the Psalms, however many days we've been afflicted with, right? Because it, living is a challenge. But when we live, we live to Christ. And whether we die, we die for Christ. But we are the Lord's, whether we live or whether we die. And he is victorious. Because we do not wrestle this side of glory with flesh and blood, you know, as we hear in Ephesians, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so then in Ephesians six thirteen, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil days, and having done all, to stand firm, and standing firm in Christ, who says to you, Fear not. Peace be with you. You are mine. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Doug Gribbenaw, Mission Advocate at KFUO. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. 
Always my pleasure, brothers and sisters. And thank you too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Join us tomorrow as we come to Daniel chapter 11 and continue to bear witness to Daniel's vision, which was begun today. Tune in to discover along with us how this prophecy unfolds. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.